5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hello, I am Professor Jorge Leal, historian at the University of California, Riverside, and this is The Discursive Power of Rock en Español and The Desire for Democracy, o El Rock en Español y el Anhelo Democrático, para más corto. In this episode, we'll be talking about the legacies of rock and Espanol in Southern California. Así que, I will be joined by Vivian. Vivian is a recent graduate from UC Riverside. And she will tell us about growing up with rock and Espanol here in Southern California during these first decades of the 21st century. Yes, three decades already. Uh, Vivian grew up with songs from El Tri, Eres del Silencio, and Caifanes. Songs that were first recorded over 20 years ago. Yes. This music was created long before Vivian was born or when she was barely a baby. Also, Vivian collaborated uh, with me digitizing the letter collection of the Club Rock en Español. So it will be really interesting to hear from Vivian, who is in her 20s, on the impact that this music has had on her. And what do these songs from the music genre mean to her? We will also hear a version of Viento by Caifanes recorded by the members of the Miramonte Music Program in South Los Angeles. But before we get to hear from Vivian, let me tell you a bit about Caifanes and Club Rock en Español, particularly how Caifanes advocated for a greater democratic society in Mexico. Caifanes is one of the most successful and recognized rock Mexicano bands ever. The band came together in 1987 with the founding members Saul Hernandez, Alfonso André, and Alejandro Markovich. All of them had long been a part of the Mexico City underground circuit for much of the 1980s. Fun fact, did you know that Saul's full name is actually Saul Alfonso? Well, I am sure it was quickly decided among them that Saul would be only known as Saul to avoid confusion with Alfonso. Anyways, as a rock band coming of age in 1980s Mexico, they were certainly outcasts. So the band's name evokes the outcast condition. The term Caifan is actually a Spanglish term, a calot term, if you will, originally used by the Pachucos or the Braceros that went back and forth between Mexico and the U.S. It is the conjunction of me cae fine, as in I like it fine. Pachucos since the 1940s were always seen as a type of outlaw or outcast of society, both in the U.S. and in Mexico. The band members took this name as they were certainly seen as outcasts due to their long hair and androgynous look that were definitely defiant and different from the clear-cut and very masculine looks expected of the Mexican male youths at the time. In fact, there were few venues that would, where rock shows would take place. So many of the first Caifanes shows were in underground venues such as Bar Nueve. This was a well-known albeit sometimes closeted uh, gay bar in Mexico City and one of the few places willing to host tocadas from Mexican rock bands in the 1980s. All of the early rock Mexicano bands play there, Caifanes, Maldita Vecindad, Café Tagoa, among others. This signals the allyship, complicity between 1980s Mexican rock bands and the LGBTQ community both of which were considered society's outsider at the time. Caifanes releases their first album in 1988, which includes the song Viento, and it did fine, no pun intended, as in Caifine. Okay, that was an old-person joke. But what really propelled Caifanes into mainstream recognition was their cover of a popular Afro-Caribbean song, La Negra Tomasa. This led them to countless tours, and for there to record four albums as Caifanes. 
Some of those first tours were actually here in Southern California. The band gains a lot of success not only in Mexico, the US, Colombia, and other parts of Latin America. But then, by 1995, the band splits with Saúl and Alfonso forming Jaguares, which really is an extension of Caifanes. Ultimately, Caifanes comes back in 2011 and to this day continue to perform both in Mexico and the US. Caifanes emerges at a time in Mexico when the whole country was ruled by a one party, the PRI, the PRI which was heavily restricted individual liberties and freedom of speech. So Caifanes' inherent existence was a testament of defiance to the rigid status quo in Mexican society at the time. While there was a thriving, marginal, with quotes, rock and punk scene in the working poor neighborhoods of Mexico City, for the Mexican working middle class, bands like Caifanes represented the possibility of embracing modern music, not only sung in Spanish, but also drew from Mexican and Latin American cultural traditions. Most of Caifanes and Jaguares' songs are poetic and sometimes rather mysterious. Yet, some of them carry a more explicit social justice message. From the first Caifanes era, we can think of the song El Comunicador, which denounced official propaganda. The lyrics said, Desconecta tu razón. Es un foco de infección. Es el comunicador. Disconnect your reason. This is an infection point. This is the communicator. These lyrics can easily be applied to disinformation and social media today. In 2005, as Jaguares, they record a song called Está Muy Claro. It's very clear. That says, En mi país, el sistema se perdió. Creyó que el genocidio era un acto divino. In my country, the system lost itself. He believed that genocide was a divine act. And the chorus explains, Está muy claro que este gobierno no es para mí. Está muy claro que este silencio no es para mí. It's very clear that this government is not for me. It's very clear that this silence is not for me. This song that comes out at the beginning of the drug war talks about the failure of the Mexican political system and also just looking at the beginnings of the violence of the so-called drug war that has unfortunately accounted for hundreds of thousands of deaths in Mexico and continues to wreak havoc and violence. After the reunion, Caifanes released Heridos, which according to them is a song about the people who are hurt in everyday Mexican life. They say it's about the need to survive in an environment that is violent and marginalizes young people. Furthermore, throughout the years, Saul, the frontman of Caifanes Jaguares, has been vocal in advocating for democracy in Mexico and calling out the Mexican state violence against students, journalists, and particularly women at almost every one of their performances. In the 2000s, Jaguares led a campaign called Aliados, that sought to bring attention and eradicate the femicides in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. To this day, Caifanes continues to be critical of the authoritarian impulses of the current Mexican government, led by López Obrador and Morena. Caifanes were among the first Mexican rock bands from the 1980s and 1990s to cross the border and begin to perform in Southern California. Here in Los Angeles, among the very first people to have heard about Caifanes and who began to share their music were the co-founders of Club Rock en Español, 
that would be Yvonne Gomez, Flora Tapia, who soon were joined by Flora Diaz. On episode two of this series, we talked about Club Rocker Español, but I want to tell you a little bit more on how this group was very influential and key to bring Rock en Español to Los Angeles. The co-founders of Club Rock en Español and the members of the club were on a proselytizing mission, telling everyone in Los Angeles about all these new cool bands that were emerging in Mexico, Argentina, and other parts of Latin America and Spain. But how did the members of Club Rock en Español learn about all these new bands in the early 1990s? Bands and musicians who live miles, thousands of miles from Los Angeles in other countries. Remember, this was before the internet. So they couldn't just email the bands or check out their playlists on Spotify or watch their videos on YouTube. Yes, it's hard to imagine a life without any of these technological forms of communication. Well, how did they do it? They did it by sending and receiving mail, as in postal mail. This is kind of the classic way. They wrote and they received letters and envelopes with cassettes, posters, sometimes even records. Yvonne, Flora, Alma, and other members of the Club Rock en Español develop a very prolific correspondence, pen pal relationships with hundreds of Rock en Español fans and musicians throughout the Americas, Spain, Europe, and even Japan. During the time the Club Rock en Español was active, they managed to gather hundreds of letters. Flora managed to preserve over 700 of these letters, which she kept in her garage, above her washing machine, or so that's what she says. And on season one of the pandemic, that is 2020, we managed to meet up all fully masked and with gloves so she could share with me the Club Rock en Español letter collection for me to archive, digitize, and do further research as part of the Rock Archivo de Los Angeles. You can imagine the wealth of really cool information that these letters contain and what they tell us about Rock en Español, and moreover, the historic period of the 1980s and 1990s. Vivian has worked as a research assistant with this archive collection, so she has plenty of insight about this early era of Rock en Español in Southern California. And really, I cannot wait to ask her more about it. So. Why don't we just turn to our conversation with Vivian now? Hola, Vivian. Thank you for being part of this conversation. Why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Vivian Vega. Vivian Alexandra Vega. <laughs> uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. I just graduated from UCR. Um, currently trying to apply as a substitute teacher. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Vivian. You were born in the late 1990s. How did you first come into contact with Rock en Español? It's actually a very funny story. And I'm very happy that you bring it up because it's something that, um, I mean, now I love sharing it, you know, because I feel like it's very funny. But um, back when I was growing up, it was just kind of embarrassing. I felt kind of weird sharing this about myself. Um, but I actually grew up with Rock en Español. Uh, my mom, my tias, pretty much everybody in my family listened to at least a little bit of rock en español. And so growing up with it, I saw it as like something that was just very normal. Like, you know, this is what we play. This is what we listen to. And that's just it. You know, like it's something that was just a part of me. And so I remember this one time, you know, funny story. <laughs> 
I remember this one time that it was, I think, 2000. I was in kinder and I used to love hanging out with my tias at home. You know, we used to live in Pomona. I was going to uh, Madison Elementary School at that time. And um, so I would hang out with my tias a lot. You know, they would listen to all this music. You know, they were, I believe they were in like high school around. Yeah, like around high school. And so um, they would all get together whenever we had like um, family reunions. Everybody would always come over to my grandma's house on the weekends. And that's where I would stay. So I would just love seeing all my family get together. They would play music. And so I feel like the music just kind of stuck to me. I didn't really think much about it. And then one time, I don't remember this. It's all, you know, <laughs> it's all word of mouth. And they always roast me for this whenever I see my aunts, you know, whenever we all get together still. They go, do you remember when you were in kindergarten and the teacher called, my grandma's name is Mama Nina. Her name is Marina, I call her Mama Nina. They're like, they called Mama Nina. And they said, come get your daughter. She's over here singing Motolov and this and that thing, you know, things that she's not supposed to be saying as a kindergartner. So here goes my grandma trying, you know, picking me up from school. I mean, I didn't know what was going on. You know, the song that I supposedly I was singing was Parasito by, Mol by Molotov and um, the intro to it, right? And so here I am informing everybody about what's going on with this song. So yeah, my grandma goes, she's embarrassed, you know, she's over here disculpándose, she's apologizing to everybody. And so she gets me, she takes me out of class, she's like, oh, we're going home. And she was scolding me the entire way back, but I didn't know like what was wrong. I'm like, you know, as a kid, you don't know what you're saying. Whatever sticks to you, that's just what you repeat. And because I love music, it just, you know, it stuck to me. That's what I was singing. And then she goes, you're not allowed to hang out with your tias anymore. <laughs> Bad influence on you. <laughs> um, another memory that I have, I remember like we used to, well, we used to live in Fontana, but I would still go to school in Pomona because my mom used to work out there. And so every morning we'd wake up at like, five in the morning just to get to school on time and for my mom to have time to get to work. And um, she used to have an L3 sticker on this, I think it was a Honda, like a, I don't, like a early nineties Honda. And she used to have a, re she used to have a really big L3 sticker in the back. And um, on our way over there, I hated waking up early because, I mean, it's just cold. You know, I'm a kid. I want to be asleep. And then I'm hearing Roco en Español in the morning. So I feel like back then it was kind of tedious. You know, I grew from something that was just like, um, I don't know, like something that I grew up with. And then something that in a way 
later on as I was growing up, you know, and now I had all these other obstacles, like for example, moving house, you know, moving houses, having to travel back and forth to school, and then hearing Doc in Espanol. Again, it did become a part of me, but then it was just like, oh, this again, you know, like this is something, you know, the regular routine. But then again, you know, it is kind of now that I look at it, again, something that's a part of me, I learned to love it, you know, even throughout this whole journey of commuting back and forth from school to the house to my mom's work sometimes. It was a lot. And so I feel like at the same time, Broken Espanol was always there, you know, for me and just to kind of keep me in this place of like, you know, security. Like that was my security. That was something that was uh, very like something that I've always known. It never changed. You know, it's always been there. And so it always brought some sense of security. Even when I was commuting, you know, things were different, things were changing and so on. Thank you for sharing, Vivian, both the humorous, but also the more serious aspect of your upbringing and how this music has been a part of your life. Now, I want to ask you about one specific song. Viento from Caifanes. I want you to tell us what does Viento mean to you and your friends who are of your same age. I feel like that's a trick question. <laughs> and only because everybody has different interpretations, you know. I think it's such a beautiful song. I I oh this is one of the songs that I 100% always play if I'm on my um Troque en Español playlist. And It's funny that you mentioned this because I had posted this song on social media. I had shared it. And one of my friends that I met at UCR, she commented on it and she goes, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to um, be able to dance this song or share this song with my significant other once I'm married and you know, this and that. And I never really thought about that because what I thought was, you know, this is a song about like a... I'm thinking spiritual beings, you know, when he says, um, Préstame tu peine y peiname el alma. And I'm like, whoa, like, you know, I feel like that's completely like out of this, like, you know, human experience and more of like a spiritual theme. So I never really looked at it like that. And then when I started looking at like a more, like the more romantic side, I was like, that's kind of nice. That's kind of, you know, it's beautiful. But then it also, it's pretty much undescribable. It's like, a, you know, touching of the soul. You bring out your vulnerability with another person, whether it be romantically or not. Um, it's just, to me, I feel like um, as a spiritual person, you know, I feel like it, it speaks a lot of volumes, you know. Um, I think that it's, it's a very beautiful song. It's um, definitely many interpretations, you know. I learned that, like, I think two weeks ago. Um, so yeah, but for the most part, I feel like to me personally, it talks more of like a spiritual being, like being at peace, being away from this world. When he talks, um, he says something about like um, something that los planetas, like, you know, so being away from like this earth that, you know, we live, I mean, me being here in the US, I live in a country that's very capitalistic. I imagine if I were to go to like Mars, let's say, you know, I'd be so much more at peace, you know, <laughs> like I wouldn't have the worries that I have living here. So I feel like to me, that's what that song means. It just means uh, to bring this state of mind that's very peaceful, that, you know, you don't have to worry about absolutely nothing. You know, que te pain en el alma, like 
You're, I just imagine myself laying back, like, you know, somebody brushing my hair, pero que sea mi alma, you know, like living my best life. So I feel like to me, that's what that song, that's what it means. That's what it brings to me. <laughs> well, let us all try to live our very best life at this moment. Let's check out a version of this song, Viento, performed by the Miramonte Music Program from South Los Angeles. Aquí está. Now that we have all listened to this version of Viento, I want to ask you, Vivian, how do you experience these songs in the present? 
And what do you think it might be different from listening to them now to when they were first recorded and released? Like I said, I did grow up with this, but I, I still feel like, you know, it was just something that I knew. But I also have to say that just recently, last year, around December, around December, I had gone to a Rock en Español show in um, Orange County with one of my friends. And oh my goodness, <laughs> that is all I have to say. Oh my goodness, it was amazing. Like you had people, they had a mosh pit, you know, everybody was doing their thing. Everybody looked amazing. The lights were everything, the music, everybody was vibing to the music. Everybody was dancing. Everybody was having a great time. If I thought that experience was freaking amazing, I don't know what it must, I don't even know what it was like back then, you know? I can't really imagine how alive the Guatequis were when, you know, rock bands performed their music. I feel like I missed out so much <laughs> just being in these spaces. Also, another thing that I really liked that um, I noticed was that in the mosh pit, whenever somebody would fall, everybody would stop to pick that person up. And I thought that was the most beautiful, respectful thing I've ever seen. And I was like, wow, like this really is a really big sense of community. You know, like we're here protecting each other, enjoying this music together, having a great time. Everybody's doing their thing. There's no judgment whatsoever. Everybody likes the same music. Everybody's singing along. People are being carried. Like, it was crazy. It was amazing. And, I, you know, now that I think about it, I'm like, we're hyped. We're hella hyped up. And we know this music. We grew up with this. I can't even imagine when somebody's releasing a new song, you know? Like, it must have been out of this world. <laughs> well, I gotta say, the tocadas in my time were actually pretty happening. But, hey, this show sounds really cool. Now, let's get back to, I guess, uh, more serious matters. During your time at UCR, you were very interested in learning and understanding our current systemic crises. What is one rock and español song that resonates with you for its social justice message? This is actually a really great question. And wow. <laughs> um, so throughout my time at UZR, I was having a hard time. Because, you know, at school, everybody, we have a deadlines, homework assignments. And then also I was working multiple jobs. One of the things that kept me going, I was thinking about this song, La Carencia by Panteón Rococo. And it was one of the songs that I played I want to say about like 80% of the time when I was driving from my house to school. And crazy, right? Because I feel that every time I listen to the song, I always get something different out of it. I always, it, somehow it always relates to whatever it is I'm going through, you know, as, you know, a person who I mentioned was working multiple jobs and then going to school. I feel like it just gives me this drive to want to keep going to want to keep um, doing what I have to do to get to where I want to be at um, in terms of, you know, education. I think about, it makes me think a lot about also my family situation, you know, here in the U.S., how um, they are immigrants and the things that, again, this, I feel like these, this kind of music is kind of a, it's telling our story. You know, it is telling our story. And for this specific song, Carencia, is 
class consciousness, right? So I feel that for the most part, um, it did inspire me to keep, you know, moving forward, to keep pushing with my studies as well as with my jobs, you know, to remind myself, I have to do this for this specific reason, you know? So I feel that, um, for example, um, these political, uh, bringing political awareness with this kind of music is something that, one, is very important. Two, races consciousness, you know, whether it be class or whatever. Um, but it also makes us like have these connections and realize a lot of things that maybe we weren't, we knew about them, but we weren't fully aware because just because you know something doesn't really mean you're aware of it and how it's, you know, in act, how it's acting out within your, your everyday life. Gente pobre no tiene lugar. Vivian, you got a chance to work on the Club Rock en Español archive. What are some of your takeaways from Rock en Español that you drew from examining these letters, flyers, and posters contained in the letter collection? Some of my takeaways about this project. Well, first and foremost, I feel like I have to give a shout out to Yvonne and Flora <laughs> for creating the um, Club Rock en Español. I learned so much. You know, I feel like working with these primary sources, it's one, it's amazing. Two, I feel really privileged to just have these documents here in my, you know, in my hand when I was working with them at the time. In, in these shows now that, you know, I'm like, going to and stuff and again coexisting with these people today you know like other people my age today with this music it was I, I feel like I'm looking at, or I'm experiencing this a little bit more differently because I have known I have read about the struggle right about the struggle that it took to um, get certain cassettes you know over here and then again when we talk about you know just my reflection on the project I think that this club and the music provided a home away from home. You know, like we're going back, we're learning about, for example, immigration and how this is musical immigration, right? We're exchanging, you know, people were exchanging um, cassettes back and forth, posters, stickers, flyers. It's crazy. And then I think about it like now, because we depend so much on technology. I mean, obviously technology was very much different back then, but people did with what they had. I feel like today, if we removed all technology, I'd probably go crazy trying to find a show, not knowing where to turn to, you know? Like if I wanted to hear this specific group, like what do I do, you know? Um, yeah, I think that it was, um, it's very amazing. People coexisted with this same music that wasn't aired at that time. In, these different regions you know we're talking about um bands in for example mexico or argentina 
people are listening to them here in the U.S. Like, how does that even happen? You know, again, going back to this musical immigration, it was just something that's very beautiful. And I feel like um, very uh, it brought it brought this like a uh, safe space for the community of immigrants who were into rock and español here in the U.S. at that time. So it was it was something very beautiful. Now, let's get back to the present a bit. What are some contemporary bands, artists that you listen that might have that rock and español vibe? So the first person that comes to my head, because I'm currently obsessed with her and I cannot stop listening to her music, is going to be Mon Laferte. Um, more specifically, this one song, Mi Buen Amor with Bumburi. I love that song and I feel like it's cream stroke in Espanol from those days. There's also um, this other group, but they do remakes. I know they have some of their original like content, but they do a lot of remakes, but they just transform it. to. It's supposed to be like a post-punk thing going on there, but it's uh, Depression Post-Mortem. Very, really good. Um, I really like their music as well. It started off with this one song that I know. It's a reggaeton song. It's um, Joe Boy. And they turned it into, it, I swear, it sounds exactly as something that would that you would hear back in like the 80s <laughs> with rock in espanol it blew my mind the first time i heard about it vivian What are some concluding thoughts that you have regarding the legacies of this music for you and your taste of music? Well, I would just like to, to end with going back to your question about growing up here in Southern California and um, just the different influences that I had with my taste of music. I think that Rock en Español is definitely the foundation of it all. Um, as I grew older, you know, hanging out with different people, I have you have different... Um, things that kind of shape you as a person and then you start relating to other lyrics more than others but I just think it's for me myself it's kind of it's a little bit wild <laughs> because um you know I did grow up with a lot of rock and espanol but then I also listened to like Chalino Sanchez, Avril Lavigne, Busta Rhymes um but one thing I knew for sure is that rock and espanol was always there so no matter where I go or how, you know, um, other music influences that I might have, that's always gonna be there because I feel, I believe that uh, that's just me at my core because I did grow up with it. I read about the struggle in the project about people, you know, um, switching and exchanging cassettes and, you know, writing lists of um, songs from different artists, different rock bands and sharing it with each other through letters, through posters. I didn't have to do that. That was just something I was born into, you know? And so it's something that I really appreciate. 
And, um, you know, again, I can't get tired of saying how beautiful not just this music is, but the community in itself. Thank you so much, Vivian, for sharing all of this with us. Thank you for having me. In this episode, we listen to a version of Viento from Caifanes by the Students of the Miramonte Music Program in South Los Angeles. We also listen to A Bed of Parasito by Molotov, Indocumentado from El Tri, Panteón Rococo's own La Carencia, plus a snippet of Mon Laferte and Bumburi's Mi Buen Amor, and also from Chile, Depresión Postmortem, with their own post-punk version of Zion and Lennox, reggaeton classic Yo Boy. This has been The Discursive Power of Rock in Español. This podcast series features the collaboration of Jose Vergara, director of the Miramonte Music Program. We're also very thankful for the support of the University of California Humanities Research Institute. I want to dedicate this episode to the memory of Oscar Lopez, the producer of Caifanes' first album, and supposedly the one who encouraged them to record La Negra Tomasa, the song that changed their careers. He died recently on July 27, 2023. Thank you for listening, and until the next time. Esa negra linda me tiene